happy Pride from Tomboy X. We just dropped our Pride 24 collection. Queer founded, queer run, and creating size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies. So you feel comfortable in your own skin. Visit TomboyX.com to shop. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Good morning, peeps, and welcome to Woke AF Daily with me, your girl, Danielle Moody, recording back live from the Brooklyn Solarium. Folks, first of all, I want to come back and say thank you so very much for all of your birthday wishes, well wishes. Um, It has meant a lot to me. This has been a fantastic, fantastic week off. Um, As always, I say to every single one of you that it's important to recharge. It's important to rest. I found myself a bit feeling a bit guilty um, at the beginning of uh, last week when I was deciding to take off for my birthday and then recognizing why not? We all deserve rest. We deserve joy. We deserve to tap out. Um, And so I appreciate each and every one of you for allowing me to do so. I hope that you enjoyed the conversations that we put in place while we were out, but now we are back. And let me start off with this. You know, I have not been following to the greatest degree all of the details of the Kyle Rittenhouse trial. And it is for a number of reasons. One, because I know how it's going to end. Um, Armed, angry, white men in America get away with everything. They get away with lynching. They get away with physical abuse. They get away with harm. They get away with intimidation and threatening. you know, we never talk when we speak about the KKK, we speak about Jim Crow, we never talk about the domestic terrorist element of it. We never talk about what it means to purposefully decide like Kyle Rittenhouse did to sling an AR-15 across his shoulder and intimidate those that were going by peacefully wanting to advocate for, you know, accountability for our police officers, that you couldn't just murder someone in broad daylight and think that you were going to get away with it. But alas, every single one of these cases show us one thing and one thing only. The justice system was not built for black and brown people. It was not built for low-income people. It was built for the Kyle Rittenhouses of the world. It was built for the Dylan Roofs of the world. It was built for people who were going to get a pat on the back from police officers and offering of water, a it's okay, son. From the beginning 
of this trial. And as of this recording, we don't know the verdict yet. Um, as of this recording, the jury is still deliberating. But one thing that we know to be true is that the gun charge was thrown out, right? So you know that Kyle Rittenhouse and this case has already allowed for the fact that if you live in the state, if you don't live in a state that has gun permits, that you can do whatever the hell you want. That what that judge just did was allow now for all of the copycats to decide that they too are going to arm themselves, drive across state lines and do the work of law enforcement, that they too get to play cop. They get to murder people with impunity and possibly get off, more likely get off. So that's number one. Number two, the judge was clearly so incredibly hostile towards the prosecution from the jump not even being able to refer to the people who lost their lives and to the one who did survive and was able to testify, who himself had a gun, but then said that he's not that type of person, that he wasn't going to use it, that there was another way. And so even in that exchange, right, between the defense attorneys and the third assailant, the, the third victim, excuse me, the third victim um, whose life was not taken, you could see America, right? A snapshot. You have those that are gun carriers, that are gun owners, who subscribe to the law, who are not doing so because they are out trying to play Army or G.I. Joe, um, or who are just white supremacists on the hunt for their next victim. No, there are, in fact, gun owners in this country who want to abide by the rule of law, but also believe that they should have the ability to protect themselves. They don't do so as a threat. You know, the other day I was home out East on Long Island and visiting my family. And I'm noticing, and this is something that I never noticed before when I was growing up. So I believe that it is new. I see all of these pickup trucks, like these, you know, four by four. I don't even know what you call those cars. But anyway, the pickup trucks um, with stickers on the back of them with AR-15 rifles that say, come and take it, right? The sticker in and of itself is a threat, right? It's to signify that the person driving the vehicle is armed and ready to use it and you come and take it. There is this toxic masculinity that is intertwined with this rights, this battle over gun rights in this country. You have those that are on the radical right that believe that there should be no background checks, no waiting period, no nothing. You can get an AR-15 faster than any woman in this country, and especially now, will be able to get an abortion, right? You can take somebody's life, right, with an AR-15, no background check, no nothing. And they think that one of those things is murder, right, and the other is following the Constitution, the the hypocrisy is not lost on me and shouldn't be lost on any of us. But when I look at Kyle Rittenhouse, when I looked at his bullshit testimony on the stand, and again, I say, I was not following this with great eyes. And the reason is, and I tweeted it yesterday, because I actually care about my mental health. And this is the difference between Danielle from a couple of years ago and Danielle now. 
And this is why I offer to all of you all of the time to take a break so that you don't have a breakdown. I remember following George Zimmerman's trial because at that point, and this is back when, in 2013, 2014, that I believed still, right? This is only six, seven years ago. But I believed still at that moment in time in our justice system, even given all of the past cases that I had seen, I believed that there was no way, there was no way that this grown man was going to murder a child who was armed with nothing more than an Arizona iced tea and a bag of Skittles. That there was no way that our justice system was going to put the dead child on trial. And it was after that case and after the not guilty for George Zimmerman that I lost every single little strand of hope that I had in this country. Because if you can justify the murder, not even by a police officer, but by a random white fucking vigilante on the street, if that can be justified, then there is no hope for the, for getting rid of qualified immunity for police officers. There is no hope in, you know, you, you will have a once in a millennium trial like Derek Chauvin, right? Where it's just so heinous that we must do something because millions of people left their homes in the middle of a pandemic to protest against what we all witnessed collectively a murder in broad daylight at the hands of an unrelenting police officer. So something had to be done in that case. But for the rest of them, right, I wonder sometimes what would have happened if there had been video of George Zimmerman? What if we weren't taking his word for it, just the word of some random white guy who was a wannabe cop who was a wannabe neighborhood watch person, wanted to feel big, bad, and strong because it's this small, fragile, white ego, right? That what would have happened? And frankly, you know, I don't even want to say that we got lucky with George Floyd. And I say that with all dripping with sarcasm. Trust and understand that. That it was because of Darnella Frazier. It was because of all of the witnesses and bystanders, including young children, that Derek Chauvin is in jail. But it had it been left to the police report, had it been left to just hearsay, without video evidence, where do you think Derek Chauvin would be? He'd probably be someplace with a promotion because he had been consistently promoted over the course of his time in the police department. So here we have Now, fast forward, not even a decade removed from the murder of Trayvon Martin, not even, you know, a little over a year plus, a year and a half since the murder of George Floyd. And here we are. We got multiple cases right now. You have the trial of those who murdered Ahmaud Aubrey saying that they were trying to make a citizen's arrest because white people feel that if they don't like a black person in their space, in their face, that they can just kill them. 
that they can corner you, run us down like fucking animals and do what they will. Because again, without the public outrage and outcry, we would have taken, and by we, I mean America, would have taken again what the police officers wrote down. Even though those fucking brothers were covered in blood, they were allowed to go home that day because we believe whiteness above all else. So no, I'm not spending my energy sitting in front of the television, taking consistent notes, watching how our injustice system ruins the lives of so many black and brown men, women, and children and uplifts the lives of white murderers, known murderers. Kyle Rittenhouse was out drinking beers in a bar. He wasn't even remanded to prison, seen as a threat to society over the last year. No, he was at home. He was hanging out. He was kicking it. It is amazing to me, and I know that I say this often, the grace and the patience and the loving kindness that the black community shows this country. Because I got to tell you, there are days when I do not have that strength to muster. And on those days, I stay the fuck home. Because I got to tell you that when I think just, just, just about the last four years, when I think about the fact that I believe America to be a just volcano that is simmering, right? Bubbling up these different bubble points, just waiting to erupt. They have the audacity to call out the National Guard with Kyle Rittenhouse. You wouldn't need the National Guard if we actually believed in our justice system. And we don't even question that, right? Why do you need to call the police? Oh, because it's black people that are so fucking violent or an entire white supremacist injustice system that we know that we cannot trust. And yet you don't see us popping off on a day-to-day basis against this oppressive system that literally tries to murder us each and every day whether it's a cop pulling somebody over on a highway, a white vigilante deciding to run somebody down, the dismissiveness or the constant calling of police by the Karens. Even if you are asleep in your own bed, like Breonna Taylor, even if you are in your own home, you can be gunned down. So there is no safe space. And I want people to think about that, about if you are not black or brown or from a marginalized community. Think about what it means to be in your home, to be in your skin and know that there is no safe space for you to exist in. That at any moment, someone who doesn't like the way that you look, doesn't like how loud your music is, doesn't like the way that you speak, doesn't want your presence, can take you out and there will be no justice to follow. That's what it's like to be black and brown in America. It's amazing that we can find joy 
And that's why I say white supremacy is not going to take my focus and attention away from me all day, every day. I do my work. I do my research and my analysis, but do you know where my focus and my center is? In my friends, in my family, in my loved ones. That's where I have moved to in these days. I used to stay in the state of rage. And what I realized is just how unhealthy and toxic it was because that's what they want. They want me fearful. They want me small. They want me to believe that I have no access and no rights. But even in the midst of the most cruel and unjust system of slavery, my ancestors were jumping brooms to commemorate their weddings. We're creating loving families and bonds and rituals. Even if by day they're being lashed and beaten and raped, they refuse to have the entirety of their humanity stripped from them. That is what I call generational strength. So while these cases will continue to happen, and once this case is done, there will be several more. For every single headline that we all collectively know, understand that there are hundreds that we will never. And so do your best to put your focus and your energy where it is needed. And again, that does not mean not to tap in, but it means to understand and know when to tap out. Because I'm choosing in these days not to fight fire with fire because I refuse to burn out. But I'm going to fight their hate and their fire and their vitriol with my unrelenting joy. And I hope that you all choose to do the same. Coming up next is my conversation with our in-house doctor, Dr. Jonathan Metzel, where we will talk about what else but the failings of the Democratic Party and whether or not we've lost the midterm elections before they've even started. Folks, you know that when it is Wednesday, I'm always so happy to be joined by our in-house doctor, Dr. Jonathan Metzel, who runs us through the gamut of COVID and democratic messaging and why, why, why we may be headed off of a cliff. You know, the one that I'm trying, I constantly scream about on a regular basis. Um, Jonathan, so... Democrats, um, we finally got an infrastructure bill passed. I don't want to breeze over that and think that it wasn't um, a big deal. It was what seemed like months of negotiations in order to get this bipartisan bill done. To me, to be honest, I could give a damn about whether it was bipartisan or not. I wanted it to be progressive. I wanted it to be as big as the New Deal. I wanted it to matter to the American people that risk their lives in a pandemic to vote for Joe Biden and Kamala Harris to get things done, to switch over from the Trump nightmare into a better future. What are your feelings about where we have landed right now with this administration, given that both the president and the vice president's numbers, polling numbers, not great. Democrats as a whole, their polling numbers, not great. And as we get ready to change the calendar year, we know that we are revving up 
for midterm elections? Oh, man, where am I going to start here? <laughs> I mean, we really have a lot to talk about. I mean, so I'll just say a couple things. First of all, I'm doing a focus group project across the South right now, interviewing people about the stimulus, right? So this is not the infrastructure. And you, as you know, I have strong opinions that they should have passed the damn infrastructure three months ago. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, but the, the stimulus and the thing is, I've interviewed tons of people who who are conservative, who are here in, I'm, I'm doing most of the interviews in Kentucky and Tennessee. And the kind of standard interview is either, I got money from the stimulus, but that's what tanked the economy. And so I'm against the whole thing. Or I lost my job for four months. The stimulus got me through, but people are getting addicted to federal money and I'm against the stimulus. So in other words, I've done like hundreds of interviews now where people are, um, are there, they actually hate the Democrats for the free money that they gave them. And so I think that's important for two reasons. Number one is don't tell me that passing an infrastructure bill now without messaging is going to make any difference. It's not going to make any difference, I'm, mm. unfortunately. And so when I see that the Democrats are going to run on the infrastructure bill, I'm like, no, don't do that without 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 shaping the narrative. Just because just telling people you're giving them money in this economy at this moment is not a winning argument for a lot of people. And number two is, I realize there's a lot of underlying ideologies. You know, it's it was pretty racist, a lot of the stuff. Like people would say, oh, you know, I'm I'm getting back on my feet, but those other people who are having 12 kids, they're getting addicted to federal money. You know, the language of addiction goes back to like the welfare queen, blah, 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 that kind of thing. But leaving that aside, which of course you can't, the point is also the Democrats gave nobody an alternative narrative. They didn't frame the narrative. They were just like, here's money because it's good and don't you want money? So the, the Republicans are great at like, no matter what it is, and usually it's like, here's a bowl of like shit stew. But you, <laughs> right. But but what they're doing is they're saying, here's the narrative you can understand it. Repub- Democrats are like, well, of course, of course you want health care because we're all human and you're going to figure that out on your own. So the issue was what I saw, even with free money from the government when people needed it, without shaping the narrative of what that meant, um, it actually, it didn't, it didn't make a difference. It opened up the, for, for all the other crap. And I feel like we're doing the same thing with the infrastructure, which is, Yes, it gave people something to run on. Now, of course, as you know, I think we should have passed the damn thing three months ago. So we could have shaped the narrative, but now we passed it at a time where we're behind the eight ball. Um, And so I have strong opinions about how we could be messaging in swing states. And let me just say, it's not, it's not what we're doing now. So I'm, I mean, of course you're, it's good to be nervous. I'm glad like you and I have a lot of company in the nervous category right now, (laughs) but people should be nervous because even at this moment where we're doing something good. We're not shaping the narrative. And I think that's that's a major mistake again. Let me ask you this. So in these conversations, because I'm, I'm blown away, first of all, that even when you give people shit for free, that um, that the people that you are talking to are aggravated by getting their money, right? Because this this is what it is. When you got the COVID stimulus, that is your return tax dollars that you work for getting it back as opposed to it going to provide tax breaks to the rich. So I'm confused about how many people were in uh, economic downturns, right? We saw lines of people wrapped around food pantries uh, for miles and miles at a time. Um, We saw millions of people lose their jobs. So just clarify for me, you know, how is it 
that these people, I mean, the, like what I'm hearing, Jonathan, I guess with the folks that you interview, you know, across the Rust Belt, around the country in Southern, in Southern places is that they really just genuinely are willing to die of whiteness. Like it doesn't matter. Like, is there anything that you are hearing that would lend you to believe that there is a narrative that Democrats can offer that isn't just going to have these people cut off their nose to spite their face. Because if I'm saying to you, you need help and here is the federal government to help you, but you're more concerned with being a racist and making sure that no one else provides help. There's no narrative I'm offering you other than, oh, the only, the only people getting the economic stimulus are white people because you guys are deserving and no one else is going to get anything. And then they would come running out and probably throw a parade for Biden. I mean, our goal is to win elections and to win elections, you've got to convince the people in the middle and solidify your base. Right. And so our, our, if we just thought, oh, everybody's fixed in their racist ways, which they are, um, we, we, you know, we, we're not going to, so our goal is to win elections. And so how do we address our core base, right? And particularly right now, particularly voters of color, you know, Democrats are at risk of selling them out, to be honest. So how do you do that? But also, um, and there are a lot, it's not just, it's not just one race of people. There are a lot of people who are in the middle, who are worried about inflation, who are worried about the economy, all this kind of stuff. So how do you solidify that? Well, number one, you have one coherent party narrative. You don't have 70 the way the Democrats do right now. Mm-hmm. That's number one. Mm-hmm. Um, but number two is you kind of anticipate, you kind of anticipate some of this stuff with themes. I mean, I'm seeing this with, I mean, we're going to lose abortion now. It's just, it yeah. seems like a done deal. Yeah. Um, but if you ask people, does a woman have a right to an abortion? Or if you ask people, do, do a woman and her doctor have a have the right to make a decision within the within the um, within the privacy of the doctor's exam room that works best for the women? The second question, eighty percent of the people will agree with the second question, even if thirty percent of the people will agree with the first question. Right? In other words, the way you frame this stuff really shapes that. You have to understand. Oh yeah, half the country they care about autonomy and liberty and personal decision, and so how you frame it matters. And it's the same with free money. Believe it or not. Um, free money has a really complicated history, as does free healthcare. Well, that's what I found in my research, um, because it ties into government networks and rate, all these kind of things. But the problem is, if you know that about your audience, you should actually work it to your advantage, right? So they'll vote for you and support you. That's the goal. So you can do more shit you want to do. And so part of the issue is, I just saw with the Affordable Care Act, if we said, oh, we're building a big community network because health is a human right and all that. Well, that shit works in New York. It doesn't work here in the South. It really doesn't. If you say health is a human right, somebody's going to tell you to stick your human right up your patootie. I mean, that's just how it works on here because everybody's like, it's my choice with my doctor. And so what they should have said with the Affordable Care Act is it's your choice with your doctor, medical rights, like some crap like that. And we don't do that. And, and so... I mean, I'm just saying like you have to market it toward your audience, right? You have to market it toward your audience. And it's the same thing with this infrastructure. It's like if exactly what you said, it's your money. Let's put it to work in your neighborhood in a way that works for you. That's a brilliant message. That would work down here. If you said infrastructure is a human right, I don't know. It's great. I agree with that. I mean, I study structural racism, but I would also say you're not going to win an election that way. So again, 
I feel like the Democrats are missing the message potentially. I mean, not everybody. I'm being pretty broad here, except to say, like, let's learn from the failure of the Affordable Care Act and let's start telling the narrative in a way that puts the other side on the defensive, which is not not what we're doing and not what we've been doing. You know, one of the things uh, last week, um, I had a conversation with Wajahat Ali. Uh, Daily Beast uh, columnist and columnist with the New York Times. And, you know, he brought up your book. Uh, And, you know, and and one of the things that he was saying is just like, you know, in terms of his idea for messaging, and I want to ask you, he's like, here's the thing. We're never getting white people back in the Democratic Party. And the reality is, is that we need to stop chasing the Karens and we need to stop chasing all of these people when, um, 90% of white men vote Republican. Um, it, what we know to be true is that close to 60% of white women vote Republican and have since the 1950s. Right. And so right now, when you look at the, when you look at the democratic party, he said that you're looking at roughly about 45% of white people. Right. And everybody else is BIPOC. Right. And so I'm confused about why we keep going after these people and trying to convince them of the messaging and trying to contort ourselves into, you know, dog whistle messaging that they will then get on board with because they're rabidly racist instead of figuring out how we then continue to expand the party that is already expanding. Like we continue to message to the wrong people and deliver things for the wrong people time and time again. White people are not the base of the Democratic Party. It is everyone else. And so I I just don't, for me, and as I was listening to Wash, and he's like going through the numbers. And it's just like, when are we going to wake up to this fact? And I know these are the people that you talk to and you're telling me, you know, there is a way to win them over. And I'm saying, I don't want to waste the energy. And I sure as hell don't want the party to waste the energy. When in fact, if we had come out of the gate with voting rights, if we had come out of the gate with police reform, if we had come out of the gate with all of the things that the BIPOC Democratic Party wanted and voted for, then we would be better positioned than we are right now. But once again, we are chasing 45%. 45% is the number that we're chasing around this country as opposed to the majority. Well, I love Waj. I mean, he's the dude and we're friends. And, um, and I think there's a lot of truth to that, but I'm going to push back on his Mm -hmm. point a little bit, if you don't mind, Um, which is a couple things. I mean, number one is it's not like white people are some monolithic block. Right. And, and, and and it's not like it's like crazy ass right wingers on one side and people kneeling with kente cloth on the other. <laughs> like it's that's not how it works, <laughs> you know. That's not actually not the reality. And so unfortunately, we like we just saw in an election two weeks ago, we lost a lot of white people who voted for Democrats a year ago, right? And so I think the minute we start seeing this in a zero sum game of either we're voting we're for BIPOC voters or for white, the minute we do that, we've lost, right? Because then we're re-articulating the winner take all, winner versus loser tribalism that unfortunately works just much better for the Republicans. I mean, if it was a winning strategy, sign me up, you know, where's my Kente cloth? I'll join, you know, whatever. Like, I don't care. But my point is it doesn't work, right? I mean, we just saw in Virginia why it doesn't work, which is 
the way the electoral system is. Now, you can certainly give national numbers that are true. And so the numbers you gave certainly are true for national numbers. But the U.S. electoral system, unless we want to change the whole system, which it needs, obviously. I know, but I'm saying like, you know, in our lifetime, um, unfortunately, the system we're working in, even to get the power to change the system, the system we're working in is, you know, I wrote that piece, The Politics of White Anxiety Before Mm -hmm. the Election, Mm -hmm. which laid this all out, that in a way, the structure of our system um, is that it overweighs particular states, particular demographics, and and certainly gener- gerrymandering is making that point. And so I mean, I think the minute you say to hell with all the white people or something, you know, and which I understand is not what he's saying, um, you're going to see a result like in Virginia where it actually makes it harder to make change, not not easier. Now the point I'm making is not that we should kiss white people's tuchuses. I'm not saying that. Mm-hmm, what mm-hmm, I mm-hmm. what I am saying, what I am saying is that. It, the minute it's either or, we've lost, right? So you can have police reform and criminal justice reform and voting reform, all those kind of things. And you can also do the things I'm talking about, which is articulate to voters who are in the middle, who have all the power in the electoral system. You can articulate to them in a w- much better way than we've done, a zillion times better way, why they should, why progressive policies might work for them, why we might bring them along in a particular way. And so we're not doing that at all, right? We're not doing that. So it's not like because we are doing police reform or we're doing voting reform, we have to give up on messaging to centrist white voters. We should be messaging more to centrist white voters. The last thing I'll say. Uh, I'm just uh, so, uh, well, so let let me let me push back, yeah, right? Yeah. Which is one, I do not believe that Democrats lost in Virginia because of their messaging. Uh, 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 like one, I do think that infrastructure and the passage of infrastructure would have been something to run on. But let let us all be clear that Terry McAuliffe ran a bullshit campaign, right? His campaign had no messaging. He was like, oh, I was the guy in 2013. So vote for me again. I'm not Trump. Like that was his, that was his message. Terry McAuliffe didn't even run on his own accomplishments from, twi- from, from 2013. So I don't yeah. want us to confuse like his inability to campaign in this current moment and actually galvanize the Biden, you know, allegiance that was created in 2020 and say like, oh, it failed in 2021 because he didn't reach out to white folks because I'm like, he didn't reach out to anyone. And that, right, and yeah. that, and that was entirely the fuck up of his, of, of, of that campaign. But on the, but on the other hand, my feeling is this, when you go back and you said, you know, we're not a zero sum. And when we start doing this either, or right, we lose. But I will say this, Jonathan, that as a black queer woman in America, the only way that our government has ever operated is in a zero sum. And the people that are always at the losing end of it and will continue to be are people of color, namely black people. It's always like, oh, well, we gave you a holiday that actually doesn't mean anything, right? Juneteenth, because we can't teach it, we can't talk about it, and we can't, you know, we we have no context around it. But here's this little thing. We know that you want rights, right? But look, we're not racist. Here's a holiday. It's like, oh, we, we, we know that you need, you know, job security and economic stability, right? To close the racial wealth gap. But we put up a BLM flag. So isn't, isn't that enough? Black folks and people of color are always, are always part of the zero sum. And we're always the group that loses in the, in the choice that the Democratic and Republican Party make in order to turn themselves in contortion, into contortionists 
to appease racist white folks. Well, I mean, no doubt every word you've just said is true. I'll start with the beginning. I mean, Captain Crunch would have run a better campaign than McCarthy. No doubt about that. A hundred percent. I mean, and especially with free crunch berries for people and stuff like that. So Toy in the box. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I think that was, I think you're dating yourself there. Uh, but, <laughs> but, uh, um, but no, so 100% that's true. 100% that's true. It was not inspiring. But the point is, the Democrats also lost ground in every election on that same day. They lost ground in New Jersey. They lost ground in upstate New York. They lost ground in like a million other places. Um, and again, there's a there's a wave, all this kind of thing. But I mean, part of the issue is if the goal is winning elections, right? Um, then you have to also be able to frame your frame your positions in a way that the Democrats have done in a much better way. Now, as as we've talked about here. I mean, there was the infrastructure bill and then there's the social safety net issue, right? And so I thought from the beginning they should have passed the infrastructure bill, even though it would have they would have lost leverage. That's I agree with that. But at least it would have given them something that would have been a wedge issue to peel people away, to say, We're giving you infrastructure. What's your what's your person doing? And I also think infrastructure is I mean, again, I study structural racism. Infrastructure is incredibly relevant for mm-hmm. writing historical mm-hmm. inequities. Like, um, you know, and it putting p- highways through people's mm-hmm. neighborhoods is the, like the least, that's the beginning, but I mean, redlining, school boards, taxation, everything, you name it. So I think they could have run a campaign, not, not McAuliffe, but Captain Crunch or anybody else um, could have run a campaign using infrastructure in a way that would have upped the pressure to then bring back people to the table with pressure that wasn't like the lever pressure, but considering they ended up passing the infrastructure bill anyway, without the social net, they should have done it three months ago. And so I I think, I I think really that was a massive, massive miss. And I think we have to, we have to take some ownership of that. I mean, I think, you know, I think we have to take some ownership of that. And because I think it was a, a miscalculation, if you just judge it by the end result. Now, of course, exactly what you're saying is true, but I, I think, you know, really the question is, is, I mean, let's look, let's be honest, is the change within the political system or in opposition to the political system, right? I think that's really what's at play for a lot of people on, on all sides of this right now. If we're going to, if we're going to do it the way of like win elections and get power and make changes, which the infrastructure bill does, then we should think about how can we win elections, which is solidify your base. Don't sell out your base like they're doing. Yep. But also don't drop a bomb on people the way they feel like, you know, don't, don't, you know what I mean? We've made Democrats more vulnerable to this inflation message um, by waiting and dilly-dallying and all that kind of stuff. So it's, it can't be, my point is it can't be either or if the goal is to win elections, you can't be losing New Jersey and upstate New York. I mean, you know, you can't, we can't be losing 10 points on that. So McAuliffe aside, I just think this, the, the warning signs are flashing red that we've got to do something differently. And I, as I always argue, it's not like the outcome is different, right? It's not like the outcome is different, but I don't think, I, again, I just think if we're saying to hell with you, we're just going to, the, the danger just to and, be frank. And let, but, let me, but let me say this. I don't, I'm not saying, well, I mean, on Woke AF, I say to hell with you, right? But in, in, in general, I'm not saying to hell with you. I'm just saying I'm no longer pandering to you. Right. Right. And and that that to me is the difference. I'm not saying, 
Oh, because frankly, if I am if I am a white person, right, who isn't a rabid racist, I too care about voting rights. I too care about police having accountability. I too care about, you know, quality education and climate change and all of the like I care about these things, right? If I'm not a trumper, if I'm not 75, 80 million uh Americans in the United States that wanted to vote for him to have a second term, like then I care about the same things that the foundation of the Democratic Party cares about. And all I'm saying is, so then let's get those things done that we know that the majority voted for, as opposed to going after and appeasing the few at the expense of the many. Right, right, right. I mean, there's no monolithic block now, right? I mean, it's like there, you know, there's always like all white people are not, they're not all voting as white people. And, you know, now we have Herschel Walker and, but I mean, part of the issue is when when Trump for four years of the Trump administration, they were building a base, reaching out in very clandestine ways to black men and conservative mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Latinx voters and stuff like that. Like they were basically saying, what the hell are the Democrats doing for you? And I and I feel like there's a playbook there that the Republic that the Democrats should be doing, which is we never put we never put um Democrats, we never put Republicans on the defensive with their <laughs> with their own base in a way. And so again, I just think we're we're doing the right thing in in now, but I just think we're not being strategic strategic enough about it. And again, the goal the goal should be to win elections. And so again, I I I, I completely agree with with what you're saying. I'm just saying that I mean the danger really is that we're building the Democratic Party as a resistance party in opposition to the Republican Party, which is being built as like a get and hold power at all costs part. It's a, it's a model for how to get and hold power at all costs. Um, And so to fight that, you've got to, you've got to have power strategies, not just resistance strategies. Last question for you. If you are reading the tea leaves, we are, you know, about a year away from, you know, a little, a little uh, less than that. But about a year away from midterm elections, you're reading the tea leaves. How do we end up? I mean, this, the uh, the McAuliffe election. It's it's not enough just to say he was a crap candidate. He was a bad candidate for sure. But but it's more like we need to focus. We need to get discipline. I mean, the reason Biden won in the first place is because we brought a lot of people under the tent, right? We won that election because we actually did have a coalition of centrists and progressives, and then. I think both groups after the election misread the mandate, right? That no, no side would have won without the other side. And the only reason we won that election is because people came together and figured out a way. And if we don't do that, if we, if we have this inter-party war, which again is misreading how we won the presidential election, then I think we're in big trouble. If we can turn it, turn that around, um, figure this out somehow. I mean, again, like all the people who voted for Biden, it wasn't, it wasn't any, no one group was going to put Biden over the top by himself. Many people were out there. Certainly, I mean, they're, they're, I completely agree with you, but I'm saying that the message of the Biden election was also people did form a coalition, which all of a sudden was incredibly damn formidable. Like a lot of people voted for it. And so if we recapture that somehow, if we figure that out, I think, I think it, I think we're unbeatable, but if we keep doing what we're doing now, um, then I think we're in trouble. 
Yeah, I, I, I agree. And, I, you know, the last thing that I will say on this is that I do believe that one group put Biden over because had he not won the South Carolina primary, had Jim Clyburn not come out and galvanized black people in South Carolina, we I don't even know if we would be having this discussion outside of a prison somewhere. We're all heading there. We're all heading there. No, I, again, it, it's, it's, del- it's delicate to say because it's not, it's not like what I'm saying is in any way disrespectful to the amazing efforts but but and there's no doubt about that but i'm saying that you know the 10 percentage point of people in swing states mm-hmm, who mm-hmm. now vote republican if you know what i mean like it's it's a million different things and certainly um there's no doubt that if the south carolina changed the course of history there's no doubt that people standing in line in to great peril to themselves in pennsylvania changed the course of history there's no doubt that all these things i mean for sure that's true for sure, people of color saved the United States. There's no doubt about that. Um, but I would also say that um, part of the story was also that it was a ultimately like what? How many people? Seventy, eighty million, whatever voted. And so ultimately, also that was also the story of people saving each other. And we and we had a narrative that brought people under yep. this tent in a way that brought people together. And right now we don't have that. We're, we're very tribalized. And I guess the point I'm trying to make is the minute we're tribalized, that works for the other side. It doesn't work for us. That's why I'm so against all this zero-sum stuff, because that's what they're trying to do to us. And if we don't see that that's the game and we don't actually respond by taking care of everybody and as best we can, figuring out a way to build a coalition then unfortunately, I think we're the, the you know we're gonna be, again we're gonna be a resistance party, not a power party. As always, Dr. Jonathan Metzel, we appreciate your insight, your analysis, and your passion. Thank you so much for making time, as always, to join Woke AF. Take care. Back to COVID next week, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> That is it for me today, folks, on Woke AF. As always, power to the people and to all the people power. Get woke and stay woke as fuck. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. Celebrating pride and the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women. Creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection. Obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes 3 extra small through 6X. Visit TomboyX.com. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. We went from normal life, healthy child to acute lymphoblastic leukemia or B-cell ALL. The St. Jude team came up to get CJ via ambulance. Shortly after that, I noticed a rainbow. It meant that there was hope. We were driving into hope. 
To have hope is to have your child healthy, and we have that because of St. Jude. You can help kids fight childhood cancer. Please become a St. Jude Partner in Hope today by visiting musicgives.org.